a random encounter at a broadcasting facility, a shared interest and love of all things Marvel, Excelsior, a misinterpreted program title, and behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick, podcaster and comic book enthusiast, and Eddie Wilson, upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome everyone to The Marvelists. Mission Brief, The Falcon. And The Winter Soldier. Oh, thank you folks. I wanted to see if we could do that. I'd like Pause that. for effect. Yeah, a little. The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. Ooh, oh, no, that wasn't much of a dramatic pause for that one. It will be if you just keep... <laughs> the... <laughs> Marvelists! I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And? Hi. <laughs> Finally, when so he, like, responds. I'm Joshua Rodriguez. And we are also joined with our special guest. Matt Cascone. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social medias. And foregoing the introducing our special guest, which you've already heard now, so. Yeah, so. Go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelists. Individually on social media at Peter Melnick on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick. I'm also on TikTok for God knows why at Peter Melnick, but better. I'm also on your dreams and hopes and aspirations. But remember, there's only one social media platform that you can find Eddie Wilson on, and that is Instagram. At Eddie, 9193. And once again, I always say, I, got, I, like, I tried to stop myself from saying the at because of how old I used to be with the other show I used to do. Listen, you botched up the numbers part of this Instagram I last sure episode. <laughs> Holy crap on a cracker. That's why I said, listen to previous episodes. But you can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms. Tune in Radio Stitcher, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. Just Google us. Like Post-it I said. Post-it works for you. I mean, I would think cue yeah. card for crying out loud. Uh-huh. They're all spelled the same on the cue cards, Jimmy. But you can find us on all of those social media platforms, on those streaming platforms. And remember, iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, broken ice cream machines, McDonald's, whatever. And we still take email. We do. The Marvelists at? Gmail.com. I just wanted to do the call and response with that one. I like that one. I'm looking at notes, so it helps. You can also find us on Patreon. Support the show, patreon.com slash The Marvelists. You can help support us on there for as little as $3 a month to as much as whatever your heart desires. We prefer the million dollar option. <laughs> you can also be able to support the show on Patreon with the element of getting early access to episodes as well as Fantastic Voyage in the $5 tier. And on that $5 tier, you're able to get us talking about issue by issue the iconic Stan Lee and Jack Kirby Fantastic Four. All 102 issues plus annuals plus crossovers, whatever. Like I said, in August we're going to be doing two Fantastic Voyage episodes. Like One is a mini episode and one is the regular sized episode. <laughs> and knock on wood we might be having a special guest co-host for that one and no spoilers but you know his work at Marvel. That's all I'm going to say. Cool. You can also support the show on belowthecollar.com slash The Marvelists and get our Dad Joke Immune t-shirt as well as other upcoming designs that will be hitting that website. It's not king in black, but it is black, and it's cool. It, I, lo- I honestly wore that shirt to uh, New Comic Book Day, and no one said anything. But <laughs> it's a nice shirt, and let me tell you, 
the guys at One Hour Tees make really good designed shirts. Well, not designed, because we're the ones that designed it. They Real like quick, you know what? Make- on that note, you can wear a comic book-related T-shirt to a comic book store, and nobody says anything about that either. I don't get it. It's kind of fun. Well, it's, you know... They're so mass marketed, you know, it makes sense. Yes. You know, like the shirt you're wearing, you know, everyone's gonna be like, Oh, I saw that shirt, you know, at uh where'd you get yours? One was a gift and the other one I can't remember. Because but... I think your shirt is one of the ones that you can get at GameStop, I think. Because they have like the mishmash cover one. It's the composite Avengers one, My, yes. Mine I got at a convention. I'm wearing Star-Lord. a retro cover of Marvel Special Edition Star Lord. Yeah. It's really nice. It's got that faded weathered look to it. That's the thing. No, I mean that's Star-Lord. the Star Lord. That's the that's the rage. Not the ever loving blue eyed. The thing. faded uh, Ampetunia's favorite. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like I said, you know, support the show below the slash the Marvelists. Now, gentlemen, we are talking about episode number four of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The whole world is watching. Yeah, which I love that title. But actually, before we even get into talking about this episode, something dropped this week. My testicles. I'm finally a boy. Ballin'. You can't... No. What dropped this week is the brand new trailer for Loki, which is going to be releasing, I believe, on June 11th. You are correct. And that my dental cleanup is going to be on the 12th, so that's how I know this. So just Good for you and your... Thank you. Bicuspids, your molars, your... Doctors, yeah. Dr. Sutherland rules. Canines, okay. Woof, woof. But, guys, what did you think of the brand new trailer for Loki? Matt, you're first. I mean, I just got one word, and it's, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, yeah, I can't wait. You know, Loki traveling through time. See what kind of shenanigans only Loki can get into. The God of Mischief. So, yeah, looking forward to that show a lot. I think it's really going to be, I, I dare I say it, I think it's going to be the best out of the, the three shows we've gotten so far. Well, I was having a conversation the other day with, friend of the show, Jeremy Bagley, about Loki, and he remarked that, you know, Loki is the show he's looking most forward to. And, you know, we were texting each other while he was watching this week's Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and for him, his remark was, this episode is kind of boring. And I didn't get that feeling. I thought it was a a good episode. Like, Falcon and Winter Soldier has had a very consistent, you know, thing of that, but with Loki, Loki has that WandaVision element where you're watching it and you really don't know what the hell is going on. Like, what's going to be next? Like, I have a, I have a weird feeling. This is going to be tying into uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, but that's just me. But with this, uh, yeah, with uh, the trailer, I really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, I love that we got homages to the source material that you know they're doing the whole vote Loki, and. Again, it's it's that love of these stories, you know, and the, the attention to detail where, like, you're seeing him in that suit with the button, vote Loki and everything. It, Yeah, and that I was going to ask about having having seen that trailer, of course, and, yes, not knowing, well, you think you know what's going on in the trailer, but then yeah. you don't know where it's going. That's So that's the WandaVision thing for me. Um, but going back to, like you said, source material, I wasn't sure if it did do that. This must be the Loki series that came before the Kibblesmith one? I yeah, guess. probably. This that was like 2014, 2015, 2016, okay. around that time frame. But and I think that was Al Ewing actually. If oh, I remember okay. correctly, he uh, got on board for the title cuz originally Vote Loki was actually supposed to be written by famed distinguished competition writer, but formerly of Marvel for one miniseries, Tom King. Oh, okay. Who by the way, I don't know if you know this, but Tom King was formerly a CIA agent. 
Don't know if you know that because, no. you know, that's repeated over and over and over when people talk about him. I actually acknowledged I brought that up in a group I'm in, the Kinoplex on uh, Facebook, and everyone was like, we know. I'm like, the joke is that everyone knows, um, but no one got sarcasm over the written word on the Internet. I, don't know. I, I was going to just but, back you know, up. I know we got to go to Josh for a sec, but I think that it was a really good trailer. I don't recall if I even saw the first one, to be honest. Maybe if it did, it's just been a while ago, but it seemed like it was equal Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson trailer. So I'm guessing we're going to see a significant amount of Owen in this as well. For some reason with that trailer and just the show in general, I, I'm you know what I'm getting vibes of with this? I'm getting vibes of Batman 89. And what I mean when I say that is Jack Nicholson was the top billed star, even though it was a Michael Keaton Batman movie, that hyphen man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you look at this... I get that odd feeling Owen Wilson would get the top billing over Tom Hiddleston in a low-key series. There's just that element, like, maybe it's just me, but I feel like, because he's so prevalent in this. Well, you wouldn't want to do that, though, I don't think. But they've done it. But why would you? Well, Nicholson, back in the day, was a bigger star than Keaton. Fine, but you have now in the Marvel Cinematic and Otherwise Universe Tom Hiddleston as an established character, so he'd be at least semi-recognizable. I think... But at most who, they'd have equal equal billing. So put them put the names both up at the same time. I don't know who is the bigger I, I get name, what though. you're saying, Peter, but I think the fact that like if this was the first Loki project they ever did, and like you know Tom Hiddleston wasn't where where he is Thank right you. now, that maybe that that would be the case. Yes. The fact that like he's already established, everyone loves Tom Hiddleston, and this is Owen Wilson's first outing into the Marvel universe. I would say it's. You know, not, so, not the case. But I, again, I'm sorry, I, Matt. I'm in disagreement. Everybody loves Raymond. Hey. <laughs> uh, no, hey I don't Romano. think I don't think Owen Wilson's the reason you're going to watch the Loki series. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. So, but it's like let's do that. And I, I do love the way they reassembled and reshuffled all the letters because things keep changing, and he does that, and he's yeah. mischief and all that stuff. So, Josh, what do you think of the trailer oh. for Loki? Oh my God! Yes, very yeah, good. You're in. Um, <laughs> it kind of sets you up for all the possibilities of what it could be. Is what I was saying earlier throughout the podcast. Is what if Loki is the hero in this in this new show? Oh, have you been? Wow. Okay, I'm think I'm thinking of that now. Just like well. or some like inner turmoil of maybe there is some good in me after all because you've seen that throughout the film series as well as he's does good things. You know what? Th- that's not totally without merit or potential belief because now that made me think josh thank you for the throwback to comic book titles past and way past that have highlighted somebody who you typically knew as a bad person like you know magneto had a miniseries he's had and, many and of course loki and well rogue was sort of a question mark in terms of what a mystique so there's a lot of them now and of course more recently doom for another example, but a lot of them who I, when I first started seeing, and I can't remember who was first, that I saw, like, why is a bad guy getting its own comic book title kind of thing? But, you know, sales, that's what People it is. People love the bad guys. Yes. I mean, I know it's not Marvel, but, I mean, we have the Joker movies, so, like, people love bad guys. Mm-hmm. They just have questionable taste because that Joker movie sucked. <laughs> it's funny. I loved it the first time I saw it. I saw it one time and I was just kind of like, why did I love this movie? There's, it, as I lovingly call it, it's incel the movie, but also just, I don't know, there's something about how I love it. Like, I've said it like this, and this is my hot take, but 
Joker is the boneless chicken nugget dinosaur shaped well a dinosaur shaped shaped chicken nugget equivalent of the king of comedy it's literally note for note the same exact movie and king of comedy is a better movie if you really want to see Robert De Niro you know act alongside you know a really good comedic actor in the form of Jerry Lewis Lewis. you know it's that's the way you go you don't need to see you know uh, Joaquin you know hoo-hawing it around you know uh, De Niro and Mark Maron but that's just me yeah episode four a new, John Walker, a new hope, yes. Yeah, loses patience with Sam and Bucky. Much like Eddie lost patience with that intro just now. <laughs> as they learn more about Carly Morgenthau. This, you know what, we don't see John Walker until like 15 minutes into this episode. And this, I thought, was a Carly episode. Well, you mentioned John Walker, though, but let's let's get the elephant in the room out of the room. John Walker at the end of this episode. Because let's, let's start with the ending. Really? Cause, yeah, because that ending was hands down one of the most intense scenes in the entire MCU for me because yeah. the usage of blood, the usage of the raw visceral violence, the emotion from the actor of Wyatt Russell, who, by the way, again, people on the internet, y'all are a bunch of jackasses for making a guy leave social media. That Just, just mm-hmm. a heads up. Mm-hmm. Hashtag restore the Snyderverse, jackasses. But with the whole thing of that, I was very taken off guard because I knew they would be making him into the villain. Because, like, in this this series, I don't consider the Flag Smashers the villains. Yes, they have questionable decisions, but this is a show tent-poled by two main villains. You have Baron Zemo and you have Homelander. And I just accidentally sent Homelander because he is pretty much Marvel's Homelander. U.S. Agent is Marvel's Homelander. So, Matt? Um, yeah, no, I think that's a good comparison. I mean, he's not, like, he, you know, he wasn't, like, some other superhero. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word on the show, but he wasn't doing a, a, another superhero woman while he was killing uh, this guy, like, Homelander style. But, yeah, no, it was still intense. It was brutal. I thought it was a little cheesy when, like, you know, he, you know, he makes that, like, face, and then the, the shield starts coming down, and then the guy's hand, like, you know, it was covered in blood. I thought that was a little cheesy, but the the, the going home image of of, of uh, you're going to have me say it now, Homelander of yeah. Captain America, John Walker, like standing up and the shield is covered in blood was pretty was pretty gnarly, I would say, and I think it really got the the point across. So, in regards to this character, I, I feel it's very much. It's intensity. It's the raw intensity of these characters, and it's also something that we've... Have we really seen a character have this much of a breakdown in the entire MCU? I don't think we have. No, I would agree with that, and it's just the way, you know, you saw John Walker's face, again, as he's about to bring the shield down, and just the upward angle, and just enough to see the, I'm going to say, distortion of his face and the expression, like, he's... He's in. He's nuts. He's just off the radar now. Yeah, he is so uh, turned now. Somebody I don't know where it came about in conversation, maybe before recording, that um, didn't notice his change along the way until this episode. But I would say no. It has been building, and you have seen it in minor degrees, not outwardly, maybe subliminally, in the sense where you had a shot of his uh, bus shot, let's say, 
or a headshot and whatever expression you're trying to figure out what is he thinking why is the camera on him for this many seconds even though it might be you know three but that could be a, a second and a half longer than you would normally kind of thing so he is definitely turning and you suspect that the serum the last vial of the serum that everything else got got shattered by what zemo has been taken whether injected or maybe consumed that was the thing i couldn't figure out how that which way well, it was, it was off screen. we don't know what, yeah. how he took it yeah, yeah cuz like I, I admit i had looked away like very briefly when that scene happened and then all of a sudden like wait a minute he just got really intense did he take the vial did he do this okay so i w- didn't miss anything well you didn't miss it too when sam had seen him bend a steel pipe or whatever and he said what did you do yeah yeah it's funny you i i know i want to stick with john walker but i just wanted to point out for a second here i've i've seen the episode twice and I did notice what might be a continuity or an error or just might be, it might be whatever. When Carly gets the, the vials from the graveyard, mm. there's seven vials in the, in the little pouch, in the, in the satchel, in the, in the knapsack, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I wanted to count them. I didn't. Pack. That's a yeah. yeah. So seven vials? Seven there. Wait. Later, when she knocks it over, there's at least ten. And... There's definitely no way that Baron Zemo crushed them all. Like, I, I did the count. Mm. Again, I don't, I think he was, you know, from a story standpoint, he is supposed to have crushed them all except for one. But it's definitely, I think, it, it is an error on their part. Like, they, they definitely miscounted. And I just, I just wanted to point that out. There's yeah, no, I get that. I would be all over that too if I wanted to pay. If I and I said I should count how many there are, but but I didn't. <laughs> but maybe a hidden compartment in the satchel. I don't know, in the back, in the knapsack, pack, pack, whatever you want to call it. It's a purse. No, it's a satchel. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a stretch, but I, I hear what you're saying completely. Read. Yeah, but do we want to get back to John Walker and his his development? Josh, I have to do, disagree with one thing you said, though. I think there is one other character in the MCU that's had just as big a breakdown, if not even worse for his entire run throughout the series, would have to be Tony Stark. The reason why I say that is because he just continues to take bullet after bullet throughout every single movie and then ends up dying himself. Yeah, but did he have a visceral... You know, did did he have a meltdown to the point of, you know, sheer violence that we had? Public meltdown. Yeah. Mm. But Mm. the closest thing would be him, you know, going... Breakdowns are in different versions, though. But one of the yeah. one of the things with that breakdown that it ties into the episode and it you know ties into how the world is nowadays with the easy accessibility of a camera, the line of the whole world is watching because as he's doing this, pummeling this man to death with the shield, everyone's got their camera phones out. Everyone's watching what's going on at that moment and some are live broadcasting, some are sharing it to YouTube or whatever would be the MCU equivalent of YouTube, but they're all seeing this. And I, again, it's, it's so, it borders on, it, it like, it journeys to corny and then immediately does a complete distance away from it past it and makes the title work, you know? Like, that title of Great. the world is, the whole world is watching and like, oh, get it, because the whole world is watching. Huh, huh. But it's also like, damn. Like, it went corny and then surpassed that and was, like, actually really, really great of a title, you know? It didn't matter that... Oh, it didn't help that, of course, John Walker's victim saying, it wasn't me. 
Yeah. Just adds to, you know, the whole component of this scene that, yeah. And it shows how unhinged the uh, U.S. agent is. Mm-hmm. And again, I think I think that's the key word to describe, you know, when I'm saying with the character, he's unhinged. And we've never seen a character this level of unhinged. Even Thanos wasn't this bad of, you know, having that much of a meltdown. You got, I, you know, at the closest I think you get to something like that is... Uh, Wolverine and the Berserker Rage. Ooh, yes. Yes, completely. So, yeah. And, like, we've seen these kind of meltdowns in the uh, distinguished competition in, like, the Nolan movies, for example. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's just something about that raw power and that raw energy that... When I saw him lift the shield up and we see it splattered in blood, and let me tell you... When conventions are a thing again, I can almost guarantee we're going to be seeing somebody with a Captain America shield cloaked in blood. Ugh. We don't or need caked that. in blood, even. We don't need that, though. But it will happen. You, I, there I, are, there I, are I do. People. Yeah, I reluctantly agree with that, but yeah, we don't need that. And it's funny because he's. this is a character that makes people question everything. And one of the biggest topics on social media for like the past week since Episode 3 had dropped was who do you trust more, Zemo or a uh, U.S. agent? And I've been laughing every time because I'm like, well, the answer is neither because they're both pieces of shit. <laughs> but in regards to that, the overwhelming response was, I trust Baron Zemo more. And obviously it's totally because of those sweet-ass dance moves he's got, which, by the way, they said there was more to that scene. And so, you know, the fan... And yeah, they released a video yeah. of... of uh... <laughs> It was like an extended clip. I saw it last night. And they 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 build it as a ten hour clip. <laughs> no, because it's just it's. But the thing is, it's literally the same clip looped over and over to make it ten hours of him doing his little dance. But what I thought was really funny is, you know, they people uh, were like, release release the extended cut. Hashtag release the Zemo dance. Hashtag sticks too much time on my hands. You stop that. Jeez. But I love the idea that. They acknowledge that, but the idea that so many people are going on saying this character, I, I sympathize more with Baron Zemo because he's such a lovable dork in this series, you know, with his head tilting and his Turkish delights. But the thing about it is... Do you think that was a, there was a nod to the line, the witch in the wardrobe, or that was just like a random, like, hey, he's foreign, he likes Turkish delights? That I'm not sure. That it did not catch with uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe. But then that would make sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense if you've seen the movie. Well, Josh, you've seen the movie, so or what would you say? <laughs> yeah, I'm out. I have seen the movie. So, it's perfect how um, it's the same idea, the concept of a villain drawing somebody in with just a simple thing is, oh, here's some Turkish delight. I'm giving you all your information. I know you're hungry. Kind of like Hansel, Hansel and Gretel. Exactly. Oh, okay. And it's funny because he's such a ominous character and like, I would say I love that when the Marvel Cinematic Universe introduces villains, they will have a character that is the human character. The human villains are some of the best. And then you have like a over the top big, you know, gleep glop alien running around like, you know, Thanos and like or not I wouldn't go with Thanos, but like let's go with uh Ronan the Accuser. He's a gleep glop and there's nothing to that character like he's he's one and done. Yeah. But then you look at a character like the Vulture. You look at Baron Zemo. You look at Killmonger. They're all 
human. There's nothing to them that's really, truly, inherently different. And they that makes them some of the best villains in this storytelling, you know? So what I'm getting at here is... So what I'm getting at here is, Eddie, have you ever been in a submarine? So here we go. The point of the story is you like stories. I know, I know. I just wasn't sure if we're going to go back on to seeing how how, uh, John Walker got to the point at the end of this episode or go back to the beginning of the episode. I think now, yeah, now is the time to talk about the beginning. And especially, let's talk about the end of last week's episode, the introduction or the reintroduction of the Dora Milaje, which I admit I'm really disappointed in, you know, all three of us from last week that we did not bring them up, but there really wasn't anything other than, hey, look, one of the characters from that series is coming into the room. Yeah, at the end, I'm here for Zemo in, in Wakandese. Uh, Florence Kasumba. Ayo? Is it A-Y-O? Ayo? Is that how you say? I'm not sure how you pronounce pronounce her name. Ayo, listen what I say Oh, That's Red Hot, Red Chili, Hot Peppers. Chili Peppers. Yes. Okay. But in regards to that, you know, somebody remarked on Reddit in the Marvel Studios subreddit, that music, the Wakandan drums, is iconic at this point. And yeah, when you hear it, you know exactly what's going to happen. You know exactly who's going to show up, where you are, what, what you know. But, but one of my biggest take, my one of my biggest things was this. Well, real what, quick, that, that that drum. You're right about the drum. I just want to comment. It's so iconic that Biggie and Apollo Crews are having a Wakandan drum fight at WrestleMania tomorrow. So just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> But what got me, you know, thinking, though, is when I saw the Dora Milaje show up, I was expecting maybe, you know, are they going to acknowledge T'Challa? Are they going to say something? And I, back in my mind, I'm like, yeah, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to say anything. Yeah, too soon. Yeah, and it's... When they finally cross, get ready to cross that bridge, I want to know what's going to happen. Like, how are they going to pull this off? And, you know, we've... I actually don't think I've asked Josh this as well, but both you guys, Matt, Josh, what do you think is going to happen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with T'Challa now that Chadwick Boseman is no longer with us? I think I'll, I'll go first, so that's cool. Uh, I mean, obviously, damn shame. Super happy I got to meet him back, uh, what was that, a couple years ago. Uh, but as far as, as acknowledging him, I definitely think it's not going to be like a passing comment, so that's why I knew it wasn't going to be in this episode uh, I imagine, like, one one thing they could do, I don't think they will do, is that, like, he just dies in battle. I don't think they'll do that. I think it'll just be like he dies. They won't really get into the details just health-wise. And then, you know, uh, his sister is going to be the new Black Panther. Like, it's, I think it's as simple as that. Josh? I think that what they could do, it depends on how they do it with the camera angles, is they have the challenge again, and they have him fight somebody, either a family member or someone, and he ends up losing, passes the torch on, and someone becomes the new Panther. See, I don't see... I feel like having him lose in battle and quote-unquote killing off the character would be disrespectful to the memory of Chadwick. You know, like, he would not want that to be how he leaves a, you know... His character leaves the story. I think it's... This is Marvel's biggest challenge. This is their biggest hurdle. And to be completely honest, I'm very bold in saying this, but this could make or break them. Like, this could really make or break how they handle something like this. Mm. Because this is... It's something that no one expected to happen, and it happened, and... 
the the funniest thing is I had thought like one day like this was back in like maybe 2019 or 2018 I'm like what's gonna happen if they lose one of their actors like to you know something like this or arrested whatever but you know what if they stay the course now the way things are going and and don't go to any length maybe very subtly make a reference if they make a reference at all where's the harm in not doing that you're not dissing you're not forgetting about the character but you're dealing with other characters and the environment of Wakanda with other characters that were there and yeah you inherently know in your mind oh Chadwick but yeah. you keep going so I don't think there's a problem to to not I don't think you have to be obligated per se to to do something because you may not be doing enough so maybe better to leave it as it is and, and just, just continue yeah. on, you know. Because, like, the idea of, you know, the character getting besmirched in that way as his, like, you know, finale, like, that's how he gets written out. You know, I'll use pro wrestling uh, vernacular, but jobbing the character out in his farewell. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, like, I, I can't see that. I can't see them doing that because, like, it's... The character of T'Challa is very much a character that, you know, I'm not a person of color, so I don't really have a say, but he was such a influential character and somebody that you know children of color looked up to and it's it's so damn sad that you know they don't have that person to look up to anymore cuz he's you know he's gone and i just wouldn't want his final quote unquote memory in the mcu to be that you know i think yeah definitely no offense to josh i don't want, I don't yeah. want to be picking on josh but i think that would be like is not the way to go like oh he just gets beat someone challenges him to the throne, and he gets beat for the throne. It's like, okay, then what does he do? He just like, like hides his head. In, he he yes. he uh, dips his head in shame, and just like goes off. Now, I think the only way is of him like, quote unquote, jobbing out is if he was like in a a gauntlet of fighting villains, and you know he's exhausted at the end, and like the final villain kills him. I think that would be really the only acceptable, mm. you know, villain death that he could get. But again, I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll just do the health thing as a way of just like, hey, you know, this is life. Even our heroes, you know, pass on. And it can be as, as something as unspectacular as, you know, a health issue. Um, but I think that's what they'll do. And again, I think they're going to have Shuri be the new Black Panther. And the only thing I hope, and I'll wrap this point up, is um, I would really like to see Shuri be... Black Panther before the next movie. Like, I'd like to see her get introduced sort of the way we got introduced to Spider-Man. Sp uh, mm. Tom Holland's Spider-Man was in Civil War. We got to see who he is, what he's about, a little bit about, more about him. People get used to him, and then he gets his own movie. I would like to see the same kind of thing with Shuri. You know, see her in a movie as Black Panther. Everyone's on board, and then we see her in Black Panther 2, and we don't have to, like, do this whole thing where throughout Black Panther 2, she's, like, you know, becoming yeah. Black Panther. Like, I feel like yeah, we already I... got an origin story for the first Black Panther. We don't need a, a second one. It's like, uh, an entire another movie. A re-origin story. Yeah. I, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I think that would be a good, nice, slow, subtle way to do that, and I think it would be perfectly acceptable. She's all about the tech, the technology, and, yeah, it would be a natural progression in that sense. But also, I just find it really funny that you say, you know, Spider-Man, he was introduced in another movie. Yeah. So is Black Panther. <laughs> so it's like the exact same thing, you know, same exact oh, movie. Yep, you're a good point, good point. So it's like, I would say overall, you know, 
what this could mean for the future of it. You know, again, sorry, to, you know, to derail and just go off on that, you know, tangent. But well, hey, we wouldn't have if we didn't have the Wakanda component in this episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier and going back six years ago and purging. This was answering a good question too, like, you know, Baron was trying the words out when Bucky came to visit him in prison that it wasn't going to work, and here's why. And we get a Bucky breakdown, and he weeps. I, mean, I was, he, he I, cries. Was re- I was really, really hoping we would get a flashback scene to his days in Wakanda as the White Wolf. And we got it. <sighs> yeah, as much as we probably could. We got an entire what, Bucky flashback, all different scenes and everything. Would you want more of a flashback? I feel like this was the right amount of a flashback yes, to I his agree. past. I agree. And I just couldn't place what language that uh, Io was, was speaking with when she was reciting the words. Was it in her language? That I she was saying that those. Up. That's a good question, though. Uh, yeah, I didn't listen to it close enough, but I because because I thought, wait, she speaks this other language too now or whatever. But Josh, no, I agree. Yeah. Which part? <laughs> the whole thing. Okay, good for you. <laughs> I, I would like to see some more. I think the the flashback we got was sufficient. Like I think it was cool from the fact that at the end of Civil War, Bucky goes to Wakanda. And then, like, we really just don't know anything. Like, he just, you know, there's those Jesus memes of Bucky in Wakanda from whatever movie it was after, I think, Infinity War or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's nice that we got at least one flashback. We got that great scene with with uh, Sebastian Stan that everyone's, like, you know, raving about. And it's just it's just such a great scene because, you know, you see him and he's just he's in so much pain and guilt. And then she finishes those words and he's got... You know, the, 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 the pain and the guilt, it changes to relief. And then right before the end of the scene, that relief, it, it turns to happiness because he's, he's finally free. And he you can just, you briefly you know, get a happy, smiley kind of face of Bucky before it cuts to the next scene. I was like, wait, what, you know, what was that emotion that was coming through? But, you know, he starts off by saying, it's not going to work. You know, I love the... This episode was the definition of character development throughout every single character in the episode. And with Bucky, that element of, you know, seeing him being this figure, just like the, the wider range of emotions for him, it's, it's a very, uh, you see what he was as the Winter Soldier still in him. There's like that cold aspect. But then you do see moments of him throughout the episode where it's, old Bucky from the 1940s and just that you know that level of humor and the biggest example of old Bucky that's in there him still is during the fight scene with you know the Dora Milaje and uh, John Walker and the line of keep it going or what, what how did he say it keep going Steve or you got or not Steve but John like what was it let me find my let me find it in my notes looking strong John or something looking, like st- looking strong John yeah. like I just love that you know dry sarcasm of I don't give a shit but you know, good good keep going he's literally the drunken coach at a, you know a softball game and I love that about him just like good enough well when you dropped in you know Bucky against um the, this super soldiers you also had the uh, the cap and falcon fighting against it you know so I was like that was a little bit of a throwback like whoa that goes back to the comics from the 70s or whatever before we get into the really intense stuff so yeah I agree and I would, I would well, go ahead. I was gonna say we we uh, we we get to see Sam back in the uh, Falcon suit this this week, which I was happy about because he, he yeah. didn't wear it last week. Which again, you don't have to wear it every week. I'm not saying you do, 
but it was just it was fun to see him back in the suit. I was like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, it was like all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's flying again. Okay, we haven't seen that in a while, so that's cool. You know what is the biggest missed opportunity in the entire MCU with Falcon? The lack of usage involving Red Wing. Yeah, Red Wing got like, fixed. Red, yeah. Red Wing got fixed, and still you don't do anything with the character. You, you know, and it's it's technically a character. It's a robot, yeah. and you're not using the robot. But they'd, I think they'd have to take something like they'd have to talk to the Star Wars gang and be like, "Hey, how do we make this a more charismatic character?" Because I don't think I don't think Marvel really has has a grasp on that, or at least they don't have a grasp on that yet. See, I, I kind of disagree because you have, in the very first Iron Man, that little arm thingy that, you know, it had some, like, the fact you can make a little arm have personality, and just, you know, with the whole part with the fire extinguisher going... That, 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 yeah, and that's a know, robot. That's a very good point, Peter. I did not think about that. You're right. Everyone did love that, that uh, the robot from Iron Man. And I just think the idea of using that kind of character, like, I feel like Red Wing, do you think Red Wing is going to become something more in these, or is it just going to be once he becomes Cap, screw it? Maybe at some point, but not in this series. Well, going back to what you were saying in terms of character development, I think my hot take for this entire episode is people that we consider to be villains, are they really villains? Yeah. And... Then another thing is is that in terms of their psychology, why they're doing what they're doing, does it make sense and do you sympathize with them? And let's be honest, that's why I, you know, I've said it before, I don't think the Flag Smashers are really villains. And throughout this entire series, we've developed a level of compassion for Baron Zemo. And I feel, you know... Baron Zemo is a flawed character, a massively flawed character. Not in a bad way of saying flawed, like, oh, this, this character sucks. No, not that whatsoever. Flawed in the sense of he's got his problems and they affect his actions, what they make him do. And again, that that's really good storytelling and also really good acting on the behalf of Daniel Brawl. And again, I you know, I will keep saying this every episode, but watch Goodbye Lennon because he knocks it out of the park every time I've seen that movie and yeah he's also the voice of Lightning McQueen in the German version of Cars <laughs> <laughs> that is my best fun fact ay 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 okay mm-hmm. can we talk about John Walker a bit more okay I just it, I like the episode and I've, I've enjoyed the series thus far I just think it hasn't always been consistent like I think John Walker's intro I think was great you know, we, everyone immediately just doesn't like him, and then you hear him talk, and it's just like, oh, this guy's actually pretty reasonable. You know, he's not trying to replace Steve Rogers. He's just trying to be the best Captain America he can be. And then at the end of that episode, he's like, stay out of my way, so we get back to not liking him. And then in this episode, he just kind of starts off, you said, like he shows up after the first first 15 minutes, and he just, he just comes, at least to me, he comes across as a total Karen at customer service. He's just like, no, wait, no, stop, hold on, stop, okay. Like, he's just very, it, it's like, he didn't, he just seems like a whiny tool. And it's just like, this guy is a veteran. He's won three of three medals of honor. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, passed all the tests. He's a this Heisman winner. doesn't crack. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and it just seems like he just sees Baron Zemo and he sees this, 
power couple that, you know, maybe he's threatened by, and he just completely breaks down. And it's only till after he gets the, the serum that he starts acting I, like himself again. Like, he's just like, he's, he gets the serum, yeah. and he's just like, oh, should I take this? He talks to Hoskins. He's what he thinks. And, like, he just seems very reasonable and very... Um, sure of himself. Uh, well... And I just didn't get, like, why... You know, he starts to come around, but at that point, it's just like, okay, it's too late. The, the, the first half, half of the episode, he's acting like a jackass. Obviously, no one is going to like this guy. So why try and make him reasonable halfway through the episode so that, like, he, we can feel bad for when he, like, goes crazy at the end? It's just like, it, it just it didn't feel consistent to me. Well, w- with the character of this, of John Walker, it got me thinking, could you imagine Tony Stark meeting this version of John Walker, everything about him, everything John Walker is, if you remember in Civil War, the remark of, I just want to punch your perfect teeth down your throat, because John Walker is everything he thought Steve Rogers is. Steve Rogers is a complete 180 of what John Walker is, and everything John Walker is is what uh, Tony Stark thought he is. You know, it's that arrogant, that cockiness, that just cocksureness of himself. That's what John Walker is. But I didn't get that in the first half of this episode. He just seemed very unsure and was just like Hoskins is telling him, hey, you know, actually let Sam, you know, take this. This seems like like a logical step. And just he's just all over the place, like with like with a no, nah, no, nah, I can't do this. I've given you 10 minutes and then I'm, I'm mm. losing my mind two minutes into it. Like. I was just like, what is going on with this guy? He needs to chill. He's a character study in bipolar disorder. Like, that's the biggest takeaway for me of John Walker as well. He he reminds me of Nuke from Daredevil, Born Again, and uh, the Captain America run from the 2014 uh, Remender run. Nice. Good reference. Good reference. Oh, did you like him in—he um, was also in Death of Wolverine. Yeah, I, dude, I'm a, I am a big fan of Nuke, and the fact, you know, we, we've had Nuke on the big screen before, well, not on the big screen, but on the little screen on Netflix through uh, Jessica Jones, but I've wanted Nuke back so badly, and I... I just feel bad for that actor who played Nuke in, in Jessica Jones. You know what he's doing now? What? He's doing, like, I think, like, a credit card commercial. He's basically just, like, Zeus, and he's talking in, like, a goofy accent, and he's basically... They they put them on the commercial. The commercials are on the the WWE shows, and it's just it's just sad. Oh, he deserves better. Like I I love Jessica Jones season one. He was great. Jessica Jones season two was terrible, and the fact that they you know spoiler alert the fact that they kill him off was unacceptable in my opinion. I think overall it, it's interesting that you know we're eventually going to see a lot of these characters back from the Netflix verse, and you know with rumor and innuendo in regards to Jessica Jones and Daredevil. We might be seeing Charlie Cox and Kristen Riddle again. Or Rit, Rit, Ritter. Ritter. There we go. Easy for me to say. No. Yeah. But those characters we and actors, we might see them again in the very near future, which... I hope so. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Hashtag save Daredevil, ladies and gentlemen. But, that, yeah. Yeah, why not? That would be really good. To uh, kind of expand on Matt's point, I guess we're thinking that, yes, in that conversation with, with Walker and Lamar, that she, he's, he's thinking... He didn't kind of say... Directly, should I take it, to take the serum, and what's that going to do? But you have the two different parts in this 
episode where first Zemo asked if Sam would take the serum. That which was great. I and, love yeah, that. Exactly. And and Zemo saying super soldiers cannot be allowed to exist. And to which Sam replies, Isn't that how gods talk? So, you know, you've got that. Before that I made a note about the quote corruptivity of the super soldier serum, and that right now is throwing me back to the first Avenger, Captain America movie, where Erskine says it magnifies the traits, the personality that you are already. So it just follows suit that this is what's destined, going to happen, fill in the blank. Um, But you've also got, well, of course, uh, Walker asking Lamar, would you take the serum? Hell yeah. Him saying that. Um, I, I love the immediate reaction of Bucky of, would you take the serum? No. Yeah. But just how fast like that. I yep. love that because that is the element of what Bucky is. He has his values. He has his standards of what he wants to do and accomplish in life. And then let's let's drop in uh, two things. One is the, the discussion, again, that Walker and Lamar have. the I'm calling it the irony of those three medals of honor. You know, they know what happened the circumstances where those medals were awarded. They did bad things. Yeah. Or I'm going to say both of them did that. And plus, you've got the kid coming up with the photograph to be autographed. Which, by the way, how do you immediately have that autograph on hand? Like, you knew exactly he was going to show up. Why do you have that? It, right. Why do you, but you also are reminded, oh, yeah, Cap is back. The media machine of Cap is, is out there. It's running. So there's that other thing to think about, what yeah. the, uh, uh, the outside world is. Again, there's another maybe a smaller foreshadowing or whatever of the whole world is watching. The other thing that, uh, you know, you have to look out for or not look out for was Lamar's autograph with the logo. It really broke my heart. We'll never uh, get to see that. You don't get to see that. Yeah, exactly. You know, he draws a logo with You'll it. just have to meet the actor and, and have him sign something for you in real life. He'll just draw a dong on a piece of paper. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> I'm a child. Well, thank God you're not Battlestar, Peter. <laughs> By the way, a lot of people, you know, in the comments on the Marvel Studios subreddit repeatedly brought this point up. Everyone was sad that Lamar died. And it's funny because for the small amount of time we had Lamar, he was actually a really likable character and a great sidekick, quote unquote, for John Walker. And he was also like, he was very much a moral sensibility for John. And then once yeah. he dies, everything goes all out the window. Yeah. Everything must go. Fire sale. We're having a <laughs> yeah. we're having a fire sale. But <laughs> and yet, even though <clears throat> Lamar had gotten beat up, he was able to uh, free himself with his his knife. And there was a whole thing with knives and and I think what's Bucky said, "What's with all the knives?" Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but for the the audience listening via podcast, Eddie going, "What's with all the knives?" As he like plays with maracas was one of the best visuals <laughs> I've had throughout the whole series. You stop that. <laughs> Can that be the name of this episode? What's with all the knives? Nah. What's with all the maracas, Eddie? <laughs> Let me call Ricky Ricardo. If the bed's maraca, or uh, I'm not going to stop. That's exactly. Yeah, right. the death of Battlestar was definitely was sucked. I mean, first it's DMX, now it's Battlestar. It's, Ooh. It's, it's, it's get any worse. You know, there's another thing too. I wrote a note just before this too about about you know Cap saying they weren't even super soldiers, that they got their butts kicked by the Dora Milaje. By a bunch of girls. Yeah, right. And Zemo slipping away throughout the whole course of this, too. Again, I, that's the perfect thing about Zemo. He's very much, he's a chicken shit heel. Like, that is absolutely what Zemo is. And, again, he is the, he wins you over with 
his personality, with his slyness. But he's also like, you you know, during that scene with the uh, Dora Milaje, he's literally dressed, you know, he's wearing that black turtleneck with the, uh, the, the gun straps, I think, or something, you know, the straps on his arms. Mm-hmm. He reminded me of like every single spy in a James Bond movie circa the 1990s. He look he he literally looks like Archer when you know he gets that one uh, sweater in the very first episode of the show Archer, just straight up that. <laughs> I'm going along with that, but <laughs> the other couple of things around that time part of the episode is uh, how easy it was for one of the uh, Wakanda warriors to disassemble Bucky's arm. Yeah, and and uh, and flipping Cap's shield so she caught it just like. Cap did him the original Cap in. Do you think Bucky Winter has Soldier? to recharge? Do you think Bucky has to recharge his arm? It's possible he kind of gave it that wind up, so that did something. And I like the way he reattached it, a la and you hear Tony Stark armor. Yeah, exactly. And again, you know, little things like that. It's the cool visuals of it all, where you see the pieces interlocking, and it's kind of funny because the world we live in, technology stuff like that, is very possible to be one day in the near future. You know. Oh, and now tangent too. If you guys haven't seen this, I have one too. A little commercial, a little ad on Facebook for a new version of Tony Stark's helmet, where you say, "Jarvis, open the mask." That's funny you mention that because that's Hasbro, right? I don't. I think yeah, it might be because yesterday was Hasbro Pulse uh, Fan Friday. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that. The thing that got me thinking about this was also at yesterday's Hasbro Pulse, announced by Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes, an Optimus Prime toy oh. that's going for $700. <laughs> it's oh, a toy. <laughs> it's the coolest thing I've ever seen, and I want it so badly, but I know I'll never be able to get it. You'll never see it in a store, but it's... The coolest $700 toy. Matt, did you see it? No, I, I was not aware of Hasbro Pulse. Uh, Josh, you'll get a kick out of this. This is a Optimus Prime figure where you say, Optimus Prime, greetings. And it's literally the original voice actor. And, you know, you say transform, and he will actually... Or, sorry, like, it's basically Bill Cosby doing a sound effect. You know that? And then he just turns, and he becomes Optimus Prime. Arms out. And the cool thing, again... This is the stuff I wanted as a kid. Mm-hmm. You're seeing him move like his arms are actually moving like muscles. <laughs> it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen next to boobs. And, you know, it's very much <laughs> one of those things where <laughs> you'll get a kick out of it. Wow. Would I ever own that? I would love to. Will I ever own it? <laughs> Good luck, kid. No. So it transforms in front of you? Like yeah. Like they transform? I wonder how many batteries that sucker needs. Oh, God. Uh, back to back to Bucky's arm. I thought that yeah, that was a cool scene, Eddie. Um, you know, it reminded me of of in Civil War, the the, the comic book, not the movie, but uh, Iron Man taking apart uh, Spider Man's armor. You know, he's just like fighting switches sides, and armor, Iron Man's like screw you, and he like says a catchphrase, and the armor you know is supposed to break down, and then mm. Peter has like a fail safe on top of the fail safe. So it reminded me of that. It's like, you know... I'm trying to remember, was that... We gave you that arm, we could take that arm away. Was that in the main story of Civil War, or was it in the Amazing Spider-Man spinoff issues? I think it was the Amazing Spider-Man spinoff issue. Because, man, that... Honestly, we talked about it, uh, I think, a week or so ago on the show... I, you know, I'm currently going through the uh, Ed Brubaker Captain America run, and because, like, this show made me want to read these. And, like, I'm going through it, I've just finished Civil War not too long ago, and there's just something about 
that era of Marvel, like 2006, 2007 Marvel, is some, like, it's a lot of iconic stories that people really don't realize came from that one time period. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm still bummed that Civil War, the movie, didn't have a uh, Thor clone, you know. That's just me, though. Got me there. I don't know. I wanted to touch now base to go back to a couple of other characters, and that was uh, mentioning of the power broker a couple of times. Josh, they mentioned the power broker. By Carly. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, him wanting to sear him back, and the idea of Kent fighting two wars, and Carly saying, separate them, and then we kill Captain America. That was a drop-down statement like, oh, okay, that's that's on their agenda, or Carly's at least. Stop, drop, shut him down, open up shop. <laughs> whoa, whoa, RIP DMX. But, Josh, with the power broker, we're getting closer. We might see who the power broker is. Last week, you had predicted we are not going to see power broker in the next episode, which was this one. Are you still standing by what you said? Yeah, I think um, we're going to see him, him or her in the next episode. And then what I'd like to see is this final episode of them taking on whoever is the power broker. The power broker to me feels like, you ever seen one of them old school films where the head of the honcho of a casino was like hidden in a big room and you go to look up and all you see is this black figure. Petting a cat. You don't see the face or anything, but you know they're just intimidating. And you're just like, oh, so here's the leader of the casino. Let's be honest. I, you know, you're you're describing Blofeld in the uh, James Bond movies. I was mm-hmm. thinking the octopus in the spirit. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, with the other reference, though, to Power Broker was with Sharon on the phone with Sam saying the uh, Power Broker went bananas. Well, I'm using the ki- the kinder way to say that. Um, and killing he the went golden into banana. Yeah, and and Madripoor is going to get crazy. Um, and she did say Mad- She Sharon does say Power Broker as he. Uh, but I thought maybe in last week's episode you all were saying something about Sharon being. Yeah, I was actually going to bring this up. So Matt does not know about this uh, point of discussion we had last week on the program. Josh, myself, and Ayinde had mentioned it in the previous episode. I speculated, based on a conversation with friend of the show, Doug Garnum, of Haven for Heroes, located in Port Jervis, New York. Well, Haven for Heroes Incorporated. But I had talked with them about the possibility. He mentioned to me, I have a feeling she is a member of HYDRA. And I go... I'm kind of disagreeing on that. I have a feeling Sharon Carter, Agent 13, is a scroll. Oh, yeah, that too. Right. Because her actions, the way she was very aloof in episode three, we really, like, to be honest, I still stand by it. I'm going to, you know, go all in on my Sharon Carter is a scroll theory. But... This episode, it kind of maybe like put a little dent, a few dents in that armor. She didn't really feel that suspicious in this episode to me. Didn't feel scrollish. Yeah. So she was walking through a whole graffitiized neighborhood there and stuff, but just the background. But still, you know, she didn't get too much screen time this time around. So maybe she's just going to remind everybody that she's still there. You know, of course, we see her in the opening or the ending credits. And so, and in fact, the image that we see of her, her face doesn't look quite the same. As we've seen her Emily Van Camp uh, appearance. Ladies and gentlemen, look at her chin when you get the chance. There you go. So, you know. She's not seasick, guys. So she's still a player for sure in there, and we're going to find out by the last episode. And that goes back to, well, when we get to the end of it, especially that you guys talked in the last episode on when we're feeling that Sam will get the shield 
And I think the overriding theory was in episode five. And to me, I'd say very end of episode five and then coming into that character, that iteration of Cap in episode, the final episode six. Kind of like a uh, uh, Incredible Hulk 180. Yeah, I, can I guess. Josh? Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Josh Rosengrant. Sorry, technical difficulties, guys. Oh, where are you at with what we just said? No, unfortunately, my phone went out. Oh, okay, you're back. Yeah, I'm back now. <laughs> we flashed. chance that Norman Osborn is the power broker. Oh. So, you mentioned Normie. And one of my things is I'm there are some ca- fan castings on the Internet which drive me crazy. I, as I've said on the program before, and Matt, you're going to hate me for this, but I used to be all in on Reed Richards as being played by the uh, John Krasinski, who's crazy for craziness. The Cran man. No. Well, speaking of. Well, no. Why would I hate? I love John Krasinski as, as, uh... well, as I've said in the past on the show. I've grown tired of that casting. And he, oh, you're t- he, OK. He's. And. We're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> he's become for me the new, like I've said in the show, he's become the new for me. Every character can be played by Nathan Fillion or Idris Elba. Every single fan <laughs> casting in the whole wide universe. Hey, who should play this character? Why should be Idris Elba or Nathan Fillion? Why not both? Nathan Elba or Idris Fillion. <laughs> but in regards to a casting that, you know, I've seen every once in a while and I'm still all in on this one, hashtag all in. I am all in for the Cran man, as we like to call him at Poker Night, Brian Cranston. Because I recently shared the time I met him, and I met him outside of the theater for the show Network, which, by the way, if you had the opportunity, French, or not French kiss, but chef's kiss, there we go. In regards to that, that's a phenomenal show. It's at least but, two, French, two French, here we go, two chef kisses in a row now, yeah, stop it. yeah. But keep your distance. I feel like he would make a great Norman Osborn because when I had met him, he was originally supposed to be Mr. Sinister. Or as we had discussed when I met him, I go, I want to see in the Marvel Universe. He goes, you know, I was supposed to be Mr. Sinister. <laughs> yeah. And I said back to him, I know. And I wanted that badly. <laughs> like I legitimately said, no, I know. I actually got visibly mad. I'm like, I wanted to. Wanted to go to damn <laughs> but, um. In regards to, I want to see him as Norman Osborn. I think he would be a phenomenal Norman Osborn. Mm. Give him the stupid-looking hair. I don't care. (laughs) My favorite moment in the series, the original series of Deadpool from 1996 to 1996 to 2002 is the flashback issue, which, if track it down, I think it's uh, Deadpool number 11 or 12, but it's the homage of Amazing Fantasy number one of him holding Weasel. Or not Amazing Fantasy number one, Amazing Fantasy number 15. How could you not? Okay. Eh, well, I I got to hold Keep Amazing. Keep the Sp- one, drop the five. I'm the, the one that got to hold Amazing Spider-Man number one, Eddie. Yeah, Eddie. and I yeah. see a picture to prove it. Okay. I know, and I'm going to try and get you to go there one day and hold it. <laughs> you really should. I would take you down to that antique shop. We'll I know together. where to go, so that's you fine. should go and ask. Okay. I'll, Can I hold? Well, this? When we're done here, Can I hold this. Mm-hmm. Yes, you may hold it like a blushing baby boy, but in baby blue because the cover was mostly baby blue. Wow. Back into Deadpool and being like <laughs> freaked out by Norman and thank you Harry Osborn's hair, correct? Th- thank you for corralling yeah. me back in. Thank so you. let me go back to the Amazing Spite. No. Um, <laughs> but in regards to that, you know, there's just a part where Deadpool acknowledges both Harry and Norman's bizarre looking hair. Like, what the hell is that? What is on your head? 
Mm. Just over and over. What, what is wrong with your hair? So I want, like, it's one of those moments, where, like, do you fully translate that character and give him that, that weird, you know, looking hair, or do you make him, you know, the Cran Man? I say give him the weird looking hair. Like, you know, Could me, he pull I'm it a off? Lego guy, so I took, <laughs> I took President Business from the Lego movie and his crazy hair, and I made that Norman Osborn's hair. Just do it. Let's do a quick little plug ski. Matt, you're on Instagram, and what is your Instagram pertaining to Lego? Uh, yeah, well, I've got my regular Instagram, which is at Mean Streets Matt, and then my Lego Instagram is at Matt Minifigs. Very cool. Now, by the way, little uh, aside, every time I've mentioned you on the show in the past, I've accidentally called you Mean Street Matt. So I think you should get that uh, social media handle as well as a backup in case people, you know, think, oh, he's Mean Street Matt. It debugs the shit out of me. Because <laughs> seen... Sorry, you'll have to put in another dolphin noise. No, that was justifiable. It's totally, it's totally become a thing now. Like, I remember at Comic-Con, I had gotten a wrestling comic book signed. I'm like, can you put two mean streak Matt? And I even spelt it out. And it was that it was that referee from Lucha Underground. He, he spelt it mean street Matt. And then most recently, I was broski of the week on Matt Cardona's NC True Long Island story. And he's literally reading the, the tweets. And he reads my handle as Mean Street Matt. And I'm like, why does everyone think it's street? Because you're from the mean streets of Greenwich, Connecticut. There's a Van Halen oh, song with that street. title. He's on a mean street. <laughs> yeah, go to the Van Halen album, Fair Warning, and you'll have Mean Street. Well, uh, what Mean Street. M-E-A-N-S-T-R-E-A-K. There you go. Uh, there's a song for you now for that, for that Mean Streak, and that would be from the group Y and T. Oh, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. So go for it. It's a, it's a heavy oh, rocket. Can we just insert that into the episode? Ooh. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to find that. <laughs> you have to like, make sure it's only like a 10-second clip. Otherwise, it'll get flagged. I think it, re- it pertains to a girl, though. So if you don't mind the gender transformation, then we're okay. It's, 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 it's fine by me. You okay. Know, you, you, know, for, you, know, you know, you give me a heads up. It's all good. Well, you may need to shave. But anyway. <laughs> I do have an epic beard at the moment. <laughs> Epic? Oh boy. ZZ Top, maybe more so. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> now, one of like one of the things about this episode also is the acknowledgement of character ticks, which my favorite line in the whole episode was Sam acknowledging that stupid head tilt that Zemo does. And now I'm looking forward to somebody doing a supercut of every single time he did that little head tilt. Oh, jeez. And how long is that going to be? A half hour? Probably like 10 seconds because it's not like it's just a head tilt. Eddie. But you heard, we heard of the 10-hour yeah, Zemo dance thing. Now, and that's just long... copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. Yeah, ad infinitum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of the dance moves, I actually want someone to like overplay the music and replace it with... Uh... Hotline, hotline blank by um by Drake. That's fair. That would be way better. I'm out. He's on that hotline bling. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Josh, for the contribution of. Mm. Let me bring in one more character, and that would be Josh. Josh, you know, Sarah being called by Carly, and you know what she's up to in this in this part of the uh, the series. I love the, the fact- significance. Somebody complained about how they have all of these characters and they drop the story thread by the second episode. I'm like, do you not understand how stories work? Like when they had all of Sam's family, 
they're a tease for what's to come for the future. That's storytelling. It's act well, one, act two. Well, not all his family. His brother wasn't there. The comic books, putting on my nerd glasses. Did you did you do the little thing where you push them up the bridge of your nose? Yep, I did. I, I pushed the imaginary nerd glass up against my nose. Yeah, no, I don't think my the man. brother exists, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But the thing is, there was a complaint in regards to that of, oh, they just dropped the storyline of his family. No, they didn't, because it's going to play a part later on. It's called waiting for something to happen, because it's not <laughs> going to happen by, oh, I guess they forgot about it. Nah. No, the writers are not a goldfish with a 10-second memory. Like, I'm sorry. Like, there's this thing called waiting for tonight. Whoa. Or Josh. Uh, whoa. Thank you. <laughs> but in regards to that. Godot. <laughs> Josh's favorite play. Gal. You know, I, I've always wanted to go meet her at a uh, meet and greet and just literally put up as my Facebook post at that moment. Waiting for Godot. Boom. I got the comparison. That's a great one. And, you know, it's funny because... It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have fun with that cricket sound effect I have. <laughs> but <laughs> that'll be a 10-hour loop. No, um, in regards to... More of episode four. Stay tuned. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. You fly boys are crazy, but... um. One of the things in regards to just the character of, you know, his family, just, you know, that we don't, we now see them. We see them incorporated later on. That's that big moment of, I, I would say it's like a, a kind of like a Chekhov's gun kind of thing where, you know, you have this thing and it's going to play a part later on. The family is Chekhov's gun. You know, it, they, you see them in the first episode, they're going to play a part later on. And that's in the incorporation with, uh, What's her name? Carly. You know, involving the family. It's Chekhov's gun. I'm just going to keep saying that to make myself sound smart. Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Josh? You know, I was thinking, you know, we've been talking about who is the rightful owner, I wouldn't say the owner, but deserving the most of the shield. And this episode, it's like, huh, what if it was Carly who was given the opportunity of the shield? She said earlier in this episode, though, she wanted to destroy it, I believe. Yeah, I wouldn't give it to her. I, if anyone, I, anything, I would give it to, to ha Hoskins. He's the only one that's acting Bob Hoskins? Like reasonably or rationally in this episode. Mm. Imagine Bob Hoskins wielding the shield. Or not. Especially now because he's dead. Can't erase that. Unsee that. All right. But in, well, Go ahead. Okay. Well, not even just the shield. Just another symbol of what we were, what we've been going through is that it's brought up in this episode. It's like there's good... There's evil, and then there's people who are just pushed to another limit, to a, to an edge. And I think that's what the Flag Smashers are. It's just this group of people who have just been pushed to the edge. and But they think that what they're doing is a good cause. Yeah. So it's not really the shield. She's just another symbol, another person out there with a different perspective. Well, she has to realize, too, that she is the symbol for the rest of the Flag Smashers. I think they're just taking, you know, they're following her lead kind of thing. They're going to her, telling her what's happening uh, depending on where they're going, and of course, in, especially during the eulogy that Carly gives, saying their catchphrase, one world, one people. One world. Oh, no, sorry, it's one love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a fun fact. That's the song Gene Gray and uh, Scott Summers danced to in the wedding of uh, Gene Gray and Scott. 
No, I did not know that. Okay. Written wow. by Fabian Nicieza, mm-hmm. friend of the show wow. and future uh, return guest in uh, the summer. Spoilers, Ooh. folks. Ooh. Yeah. But, by the way, ch- uh, be sure to pre-order Suburban Dicks on Amazon. But, gentlemen, I think that's going to wrap this episode up, I would say. Eddie? Yeah, I believe else? so. I think we covered that pretty well. K- kudos to the Dora Milaje for the fight sequence. Sorry, Absolutely. I'm more of a combos guy. With, the, with and, and throwing those weapons that they have. And, uh, yeah, just excellent on the that. pointy sticks. The pointy sticks, John that's Walker it. Calls them. Yeah, and he bounced off of that when he backed up into one or something like that. Those things are serious stuff. Ooh. Yeah. And real quick before it. very before... diplomatic in that scene, I felt. That was another thing. I was just kind of like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> Josh, comment? Final thought. <laughs> wow, it's like Jerry is... Springer's here with us. In spirit. I didn't even Let's know he was sick. try this again. Is what music does for any episode, any type of play, any type of movie, anything, without having to say one word, especially for the ending. They didn't say anything. The smile on your face just lets me know so much that you need me. Hello? Hello. Wow. I don't know what to say for that. No, no, it, it really just pulls out an episode. It really brings the drama. That entire scene was no words. You don't need words sometimes. All they all they have is music. Yeah, I can see that. The the music, how the music will you know cause the emotional impact for the viewer, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's what happened a lot for this episode. I feel like is the action sequences. Especially the end, a long, drawn-out one note felt more Joker-like than anything else. You're like, oh, he's going to do something bad. He's going to turn over and take it out on a trash can or probably kill a guy. Well, you you look at this series, and everyone wants it and expects it to be a big kaboomy, you know, Michael Bay-esque kind of thing of, you know, nothing but explosions and this and that. It's the action show. But you mention the key point about the music. The music itself is the unseen extra actor on the stage that we don't see, but they're there and they're playing just as important of a part as the actors on the stage. So I am in complete agreement with you. Music, mm-hmm. You know, those mo- those moments where the music swells and you're like, oh my God, it's leading to the intensity of it. Music is an important part of storytelling. You look at the movie Uncut Gems with the Sandman, Adam Sandler, and music, the intensity of the music causes the overall anxiety attack of what the movie is. Matt, you've seen Uncut Gems, right? Yeah, yeah, I snuck into that movie. And it's it's very... <laughs> <laughs> what is this, like 1995? It's not my fault. I went to go see it with a couple friends. I went to go buy the ticket, and they're like, oh, we're sold out. My friends already had tickets, so they snuck me in. And there was totally seats available. I don't know what they were talking about. It was bullshit. <laughs> Dolphin noises. They, they totally had seats Dolphin noises? They, it was, it's their fault I didn't get my money. So you got in uh, uh, well, you call- comped. You also could have watched it on uh, Netflix. Again, I wasn't. I was already there. Like I wasn't gonna not see the Fair. movie. Fair. But th- that's the thing. Again, you know, in Uncut Gems, music plays as much of an important part. And by the way, when I said like that was the best anxiety attack I've ever had in a theater, because like that movie, am, am I right in saying that? Like it's such a intense movie, and oh for sure. Like the music, the way it was like swelling and this and that, the fast imagery. I was getting Uncut Gems vibes with the ep- the ending of this episode. 
like the fast cuts, that that the music swelling, the impactfulness, the un, the complete visceral violence. Yeah, that's that's an uncut gems moment, baby. Cool. But anyway, gentlemen, before we put a bow on this episode and kick it into the stratosphere that is the worldwide interwebs, Matt, thank you for being on the show today. Oh yeah, thanks for having me, and and happy to you know contribute anytime. And again, if someone had missed your line. And, you know, maybe like I didn't fall out of a chair or something. How can people get a hold of you on them, their social medias? Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Mean Streak with a K, <laughs> only one K, Matt, Mean Streak Matt. Uh, and if you're into Lego, I am at, at Matt Minifig on Instagram, and then I guess you can catch me on Twitter, too, at Mean Street Map, but I don't really use that much. Almost sounds like little Fig Newtons. They'd be a nice little snack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, always down for Fig Newtons. That's a good day. That's a good side thing. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Mean Street Matt. And his mini- you just you didn't <laughs> use the K! <laughs> the K for Carly. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Josh Rosegren. I'm Matt Cascone. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior!